we had one uh, there in Atlanta uh, that was several years ago um, that the ransomware hit on Thursday night uh, going into Good Friday. All of the executives uh, had gotten on planes that morning early to go to an island for an offsite retreat, strategic retreat. You don't think they knew that? So that had been in there. And what we discovered is that the compromise had actually been about four months prior. Welcome to the Business Ownership Podcast, brought to you by Awareness Strategies, helping you navigate the waters between entrepreneurship and ownership. Hey there, peeps. This is Michelle Nedlack, and I am super glad that you're here with us today because I am here with my most amazing guest, Brian Bryant. Thank you so much for being here today. My pleasure. Thank you. Awesome. So give us a highlight of who you are and what you do for business. Uh, wow. Well, who, who am I? Um, uh, I've been, you can give me the short name and not the actual yeah, <laughs> short version. Okay. Yeah. You don't want uh, to go back as far as when the earth cooled, probably. Um, yeah. So, uh, my name is Brian Tao. I'm chief security officer for, uh, leapfrog services, uh, their managed it security provider, uh, out of Atlanta, uh, Georgia. I came to them back uh, last fall when they acquired uh, a company called Cyber Risk Solutions that I had been running for seven years. Prior to that, I was chief security officer for um, uh, a Fortune 50 and have run professional services and been in the security business for, uh, gosh, over 25 years and been in IT since the late uh, late 80s, if you can believe that. But yeah, been been around a little bit. Wow. So what intrigued you about security as a thing? Yeah, so uh, security was was an interesting shift for me. So, uh, like I said, I was in, in IT first, and um, and by IT meaning I started building computers out of my bedroom uh, when I was in college. Uh, there's a much longer story to that that gets more interesting with every beer. Uh, <laughs> but uh, I kind of kind of took that into uh, started a business uh, doing that, and ended up doing a lot of business with the university. Uh, I went to Middle Tennessee State. And uh, sold that business off uh, before I was old enough to drive a car or before I was old enough to rent a car, I should say. And uh, bounced around from uh, various, uh, you know, uh, master C&E, you know, doing networking. Uh, and then as wide area networks were, were coming up, I got involved with Cisco. I've had uh, four or five books published on Cisco stuff by Cybex book publishers. Um, and I ended up on a project uh, with uh, a guy that would eventually become one of my uh, dearest business partners, um, who was former NSA and a security guy. Um, wow. <laughs> so it turned out that in, in that time, uh, the security people weren't necessarily IT, uh, like uh, IP network people, right? They didn't have... Uh, necessarily the same in-depth and background on how information, how packets move, like really down to the level that the network teams had. Um, so it was really a nice marriage because my network teams didn't have the security, right? At that time, you know, what was security? There was really no no need for it uh, because the the threat uh, opportunities hadn't really developed for the, for the actors just yet. Um, so it became very intrinsically valuable to me that it, while it's very, very cool to uh, nail things up and see them go fast, um, there was really a, an intrinsic value to me uh, to protect them. Uh, and then taking the knowledge and the background I had on the network side and applying that into the security field. Um, so 
uh, Jeff and I started a, a security company called the Sargon Group that we eventually sold off to Nortel Networks. Um, and I've been in security ever since. And that was uh, just before uh, the, uh, the scare of the, uh, uh, the year 2000, I guess. So wow. I've been doing it since then. That is awesome and fun. And <laughs> I could pick brain for hours, uh, but I promise I'll stick to the half hour. So. Okay, well, that's fine. <laughs> So, so now who do you serve and support? Who is your ideal client? Yeah, so uh, the like I said, the company that I had was uh, Cyber Risk Solutions, um, a small boutique firm uh, located in Nashville, Tennessee, where I, I still live. Um, uh, we were acquired by LeapFrog Services in, in Atlanta, who had been a partner of mine uh, for better part of three years. And we ended up with several of their clients on our roster. And it did seem to make sense uh, for it to work together in uh, a more holistic fashion, right? So they ended up acquiring us. Um, and the, the reason why that, that was happening is um, kind of what I've built my entire security career around. You know, obviously, I, as I mentioned, I started off uh, in the technical field. And the more, the more work that I did and the more I kind of, I'll say, moved uh, – I'll say up the ladder, if you will, into how we were handling uh, security and so forth, moving more into, you know, middle and then finally into the executive suites and then and the boardrooms. It became very obvious um, as I was uh, doing that work with a lot of different companies uh, that um, security was stopping at the, uh, at the at the technical level. And if you do the root cause analysis on any of the headline breaches, really, that you've ever heard of, uh, you will do well, what, what you will find out is that the root cause actually started somewhere on the governance side. Uh, patches were missed. Okay, great. Uh, certainly a technical thing to not have patches on your on your systems. Um, but when you get down to the five whys, you know why were the patches missed? Well, we didn't have the resource. Well, is that a technical issue or is that a program issue? Uh, probably a program issue. Well, we didn't have the budget. Is that a boardroom issue? Or right? So, so you see where that's going, right? So when you yes. when you go back and you look at the things that actually happened and the root cause, there's almost always a program. There's almost always a governance issue that caused that vulnerability to open up. That was eventually a technology hack. Um, so what Cyber Risk did. Uh, was we were pure play consulting starting at the executive level and offering uh, risk management strategy um, and executive leadership, uh, virtual chief security officers and, and, and that type of service, you know, building out incident response plans, building out policy, um, all the things that are need program needed programmatically to build a security program to properly protect the technical um, so we didn't do any technical work. Uh, I mean, we we have we maintained the strike force team um, that, that we still have now, you know, to do penetration testing and that kind of work. Uh, but we didn't, you know, configure firewalls. We didn't do Active Directory rules or anything like that. Um, we had partners that would go in and do that that technical stuff. Or if the clients themselves had IT teams, and we would leverage them to do that work, and then we would be the governance side. Uh, to manage a metric, how all of those kind of things were were, were being managed. Um, so LeapFrog, being an IT services provider, they're the one that, uh, as, as I like to say, they're, they're the ones that manage the bits, bytes, and blinky lights. Um, so we could manage the governance side of it from, you know, VCSO, you know, governance, and then the operation side, and then have LeapFrog doing the technical stuff. Um, so then it, it became very obvious 
after we got uh, you know five or six of those clients on both rosters that the holistic solution is really what the market is is looking for so it really kind of gives us a first mover uh advantage if you will uh to be able to talk to a client at the executive board level about risk being able to build out a proper strategy over you know two three years when whatever that that throttle as i call it needs to be uh, and then also be able to operate the technology to the level and to the governance program that, that we put in place. Um, so it really it's, it's really working out very, very well for all of our clients um, that have, uh, have bought into the service that we can really provide what we call uh, our ring of security. Right. So when you do the, uh, um, you know, the four pillars, right, people, processes, technology, facilities, right? Nothing new about that. It's been around since the days of, of the transistors, right? But when you wrap the attack surface around that and you really look at where where these attacks are coming from, um, what MIT, Columbia, and several other studies have, have, have noticed uh, and, and reported on is what I started out the conversation with was with most of those attacks, a little over half of them, uh, come from the governance side. They affect the technology, uh, but but coming from that governance side, it's very important for us to work with our clients uh, on making sure that that entire ring is 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 protected. So that's the that's the whole that's the whole thing that we do. Um, like I said, it, it provides us a, a very significant competitive advantage um, in that because most IT providers uh, that are you know managed providers, you know, there's always that that gray area between what they're providing, right? Is, is it a, a you know, rack space power circuit? Uh, are they coming as far in as the server? And if they are coming in as far as the server, who's actually managing uh, the server? Is the client responsible for patching? Is the provider responsible for patching? Or now we get from server itself into the operating system or into the the, the databases, so forth, or, you know, those kind of things and writing on the server, who's responsible uh, for all of that. Um, so having the ring of security in place through the whole offering gives our clients peace of mind that they can run their business with a with a very high level of confidence that those kind of things are being managed. Nice. So it's, um, I was going to say, so it's not just IT companies or SaaS companies that are needing what you do. It's any company that has a server internal. Am I right? Or Yeah. So it, it ranges. It's all over the place, right? So, you know, uh, people ask me, you know, what, what's your target vertical? Uh, and my response to that has always Business. been, what's 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 the adversary's target vertical? Um, right. You know, people, and then so and you also get the question, well, you know, we don't have anything necessarily that that you know that an attacker would want. Um, and my response to that is, well, are you connected to the internet? Yeah. yeah. Do you have a website? <laughs> yeah. Exactly. Well, uh, yeah. do you have bandwidth? Yes. Mm -hmm. Okay. You have processing power somewhere? Sure. You have storage. Well, those are the three tools of the adversary. And now in this day and age with the ransomware being as rampant as it is, there's no, nobody on the planet, that data is not, is more valuable to you than it is to anybody else on the planet. So you will pay for it if it is suddenly taken away, right? So there's, there's certainly some, some opportunities there. Um, yeah, so it just really comes back to having a, a, a true holistic approach um, from the board level. Uh, and then, so if you ask a security person, 
uh, about a holistic approach, they'll say, yeah, we have a holistic approach because, you know, uh, say uh, uh, business continuity, right? So when you ask that technical person, yeah, well, our systems are up to five nines. Yeah, we're good. We're, we are rock solid. Okay, well, that's technology. That's technology. That's not business because the systems themselves are available. Uh, does not necessarily mean that the cash registers are still ringing, uh, right? So, uh, you know, when you really get into doing big business continuity projects, say, say there's a, a, a global call center and you're outsourced in India uh, and there's a hurricane or something coming in, you have to move 300 call center agents from Chennai into Bangalore, about 300 miles. And you learn when you have to actually run that uh, tabletop exercise uh, that way, or in this case, we did live exercises, uh, you learn I've got five or six empty seats. My call times are going up because we didn't have health care. I've got I've got people that couldn't make the trip because they didn't have somebody to watch their dogs. Meanwhile, my call center that I'm responsible for the the uh, the business continuity for, um, I've got empty seats. My call times are going up. My uh, satisfaction rates are going down, and subsequently, my SLAs for that call center client are in jeopardy because of dogs. Essentially, uh, yeah. Right. So there's nothing. There's nothing technical about that solution, right? So I, I use that story because that's well, mostly because it's true, uh, <laughs> but it really does shine a light into the dark corners when you're talking to people that say, "Well, you know, it's really easy. The technical guys can go in and you know change the X records and push those calls to Chennai in about three minutes, and wait for it to propagate, right?" Until they count. Easy. Moving 300 people, having buses, having hotels, uh, you know, pet care, right? Having all those kind of things in place is business continuity. So it's those kind of things. That may be a bit of an extreme uh, example, but it really does shine a light on the fact that when we're talking about business, we're talking about risk, we're talking about cyber as it relates to all that. It's not just, uh, you know, the bit bites and blinky lights, as I was saying. Right. Well, and I don't think people realize that you know, technology doesn't sleep either. So if somebody's writing software that's waiting to hit and, and you know, opportunity knocks, then, you know, that's when it hits. It doesn't wait until nine to five, Monday to Friday. And well, and, and most compromises, yes, oh. 100%, exactly to that, to that point. Uh, most of the compromises that we end up dealing with when we get that incident response call from, from somebody or generally from, from referrals, um, We had one uh, there in Atlanta uh, that was several years ago um, that the ransomware hit on Thursday night uh, going into Good Friday. All of the executives uh, had gotten on planes that morning early to go to an island for an offsite retreat, strategic retreat. You don't think they knew that? Maybe. So that had been in there. And what we discovered is yeah. that the compromise had actually been about four months prior. Uh, and they had been watching the, the, the network waiting for that time uh, for that ransomware to go off and uh, basically encrypt all their uh, systems. And, and I tell you, there is nothing more, uh, nothing that makes all of this more real uh, than when you walk into a, a when, when you pull up uh, in, in front of a building. Uh, and there's an empty parking lot where there should be roughly 3,000 people at work. 
at two o'clock on a Wednesday, right? They're supposed to be at work. All of the IT systems down, the production lines are down, everything's down. There's no work that can be done because of those systems. And you pull up in an Uber, uh, right, to try to try to help this company out, and the parking lot is completely empty. Oh, that's terrifying. Well, it is, and it's a it's uh, I won't say daily, but just it is just about <laughs> pretty a, much a, daily because you know they don't sleep. A they daily want occurrence. That's yeah. their full time um, job is trying to attack. Right. So, so when you do. Right. So when we did on that particular example, uh, you know, when we do the root cause analysis, okay, all right, where, you know, systems had been encrypted, all of the uh, nursing stations uh, had been encrypted, customer check-ins had been encrypted for all of their doctor's offices all over all over the country. Um, so there's no automated check-in. They were trying trying to do the best that they could with 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 paper. Um, Surgeries canceled. I mean, go down the list, right? All of those those kind of things uh, were were happening. So when we finally figured out, uh, when we finally found the smoking gun, they had compromised the administrative credentials for the backup programs, so they could get into the backups and delete all the backups first, to then begin to move laterally to get to uh, the databases, HR systems, and all that to begin to encrypt everything else. Uh, the backup, the administrator backup password. Bluebird. One, two, three, four. <laughs> All lowercase, Bluebird. Oh my! That's that. That password is 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 compromisable in, uh, you know, tenths of a second. Okay, so back to my first conversation. Is that a technical problem? Yeah. No. Is it a policy problem? Maybe, maybe not. If the policies were there, if the policies are there and they were being audited, okay. Uh, but there should be controls in place for password complexity, two-factor authentication, those that that kind of thing, especially around backup systems and 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 all that, right? So, are you doing? Are you changing system passwords on a regular basis? Is there a password complexity requirement? Is there a, a, a you know password read? I mean, basic basic cyber hygiene would have saved them. Uh, I believe the net number from that one was probably somewhere around um, 20, 25 million uh, in over in overall losses. Um, so I don't know, maybe don't use Bluebird for your password. <laughs> yeah. Ouch, ouch, ouch. Well, and but I the root cause of the root cause of that was not a technical failure. It's a human right? failure. It's, it's it's a process failure. The backup ad admin was not a security person. They were not properly trained. They didn't really occur to them that that could be an attack vector. So we're going to make it easy to log in. And it was his high school mascot. Well, and I don't think people really realize how much security has changed because to your point earlier, once upon a time, you didn't really need security because there there was no outside access. You had a computer well, at your desk. Of, of you had to run around with a little thing or, or big floppy to go and access other information. I mean, it was pretty safe. You knew if nobody touched that, it was the same as it was the last time you saw it. And that was only, well, I want to say only, it was only it's called 40 years ago. I guess it seems like a lot, doesn't it? But yeah. <laughs> to me, it does. <laughs> to me, it was yesterday. But now, well, there's no there's no intrinsic value to whatever you had on that floppy desk. Right. Yeah. So uh, chances are whatever it, it was there could probably be rebuilt in a reasonable period of time. Um, 
you know, and then as as we become more and more dependent on systems and then using those systems more and more to do more sophisticated things, and then there's more data required for that. And now you have uh, these these very highly magnetic, uh, attractive um, uh, systems that are that, that are being compromised. Right. Because right. I know personally for me, two factor or yeah, two factor authentication drives me crazy when it's something that seems insignificant to me. But then to your point, if it <laughs> compromises anything else, the whole system breaks down. So kind of there was an interesting study, and I would I wish I could remember who it was so I could give them proper credit. Um, but it was really, really compelling to me uh, over this last holiday season. Uh, they reported, and I wish I could remember who it was, um, reported that in their in their survey, it was uh, in the mid-60s percent of consumers and this was the interesting part it was 60 percent of cons consumers that when they were shopping online if they got to the uh payment portion right so you put the stuff in the cart and then you, you move on for, on to the payment if they got to the payment portion and the payment did not have significant security meaning a two-factor authentication or you know they're looking for those the uh, the padlock you know on the uh, secure transaction, which is a whole different whole different conversation. Um, but if if the consumer did not feel that the transaction was going to be properly protected, they would dump the cart and they would leave. That's the first time that number has ever been that high. So what that translates into is that now for your online web presence, for your web shop and, and, and all that, if you don't have proper security controls that you're making that consumer feel safe, that their information is going to be safe with you, they won't buy from you. And that is a monumental uh, culture shift in to the culture's perspective on cyber uh, security and information protection. Um, that was really, really interesting to me. Um, just simply for the fact that most people are like, eh, you know, and I use the, uh, you know, the target target breach from, from years ago, right? So TJ Maxx stock, you know, dipped a little bit. Uh, and they were like, oh, well, TJ Maxx is done because, you know, they had millions of, of, of uh, credit cards and all that kind of thing released. Well, in about two weeks, it came back. Because at the end of the day, people get their card numbers changed and credit card companies will cover the loss. So the, the, the mitigation for that is fairly minimal. And Target stock came back bigger and better than ever because at the end of the day, the consumer wants the best value for the best price. And the information security portion of that is negligible as to whether or not it's going to impact them. Uh, of course, that was many, many years ago. But to have, to have come so far now um, that consumers are actually dumping their cart online if they don't feel like their information is properly protected. For me, that, that was just a huge turn and and cultural perception of, of information protection. Well, and so for, <laughs> for small businesses, I'm assuming that have, you know, they have their shopping carts. It's up to the shopping cart software company to figure all that stuff it is. out, isn't it? It is. Yeah. And, and yeah, so most of those things are outsourced. Um, right. And, and rightfully so, you know, when we go in and look at a company's profile, uh, what their risk uh, profiles might be, where the threats and so could, could be coming from, are they taking payments and so forth? Uh, you know, so, you know, you gotta be PCI compliant and all that, you know, the first thing I want to do is reduce that scope that we call it. Right. So get that. I don't want to see any of that data. 
I don't want to tokenize it. I don't want to, I don't want it at all. And if it costs me uh, an extra, you know, percentage point or something or two, two percent or whatever, whatever the, 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 the dollar value cost on, on it, that cost per transaction is a hell of a lot cheaper than it is for me to have a fully compliant PCI environment. Um, so we let them worry about that, outsource that. I don't want to see it. Uh, let it go that way and let somebody else do that. Now, fundamentally, what we have done is we have not relieved ourselves of that risk. What we have done is we've shifted that risk into a different column of risk called third party. So, you know, you can ask uh, ask somebody like Five Guys, right, who got hit not too long ago. Five Guys was outsourcing their credit card stuff and the credit card company that was handling their, their payments and transactions, they got hit because they got caught with their pants down uh, with Paul. So, right, so Five Guys, their 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 name is in the paper, uh, right? I'm just going to show my age there. Does people do papers anymore? But their, their name's certainly in the headlines, right? <laughs> but it was their credit card company that they had outsourced to that had dropped the ball. So where does that liability land, right? Because what we've done is we've taken that governance portion around payment processing, and we've shifted that into a third-party risk. So what companies need to be doing for those companies that they're outsourcing things to, um, whether it's cloud providers or they're providing this, right? All cloud means is just somebody else's computer, right? So what we want to ask them, uh, you know, do they have their SOC 2 uh, certification? Um, you know, what are their security controls? You know, where are their servers, right? All, all the things that go along with, and they do their due diligence, uh, on the third pro uh, third party to make sure they're they're protecting your data properly. So we've fundamentally shifted the risk into something that, that's more manageable, certainly, but that does not relieve the risk just because you've outsourced it. So I've talked to many of many executives that think that because we've outsourced this risk, uh, outsourced those payments, that we're no we're no longer liable, and that is a not not true at all. Well, and it's not even not liable; it's not accessible. <laughs> it's like yeah, I, I'm. You may not be liable for it, but if it affects your data and it affects your systems, then you have, it, it's not even about accountability or responsibility. It's, it's, we need to do something about it to ensure that it's taken care of because we need it taken care of. <laughs> yeah, exactly. Exactly. And, and, I mean, we talk about, you know, taking payments and you talk about different compliance targets, HIPAA, high tech, you know, pick your alphabet soup uh, for compliance targets. Um, and when we're talking to small medium businesses, most of them don't have a compliance target. If you know, if, if they're taking credit card payments, they outsource that. So there's really not another uh, compliance target um, until they go get their cyber insurance. And to operate a business that has any data at all without cyber insurance is a, a little like, uh, you know. Right, not only riding a motorcycle without a helmet, but maybe I don't know. It's just it would, it would just be crazy. I mean, you you have to have cyber insurance because everybody thinks, you know, especially small business. You know, we talked about you know I don't they don't I don't have anything that somebody would want, um, but that data that you're using to operate is more valuable to you. Like I said, and ransomware and all that. So to get cyber insurance, um, insurance carriers are dropping everybody. Uh, because of the cost that's involved. So in order for them to keep you, 
there's, I mean, they have become the new compliance, right? So they're sending you, uh, we want to know, uh, they used to say, do you have two-factor authentication? And it was a yes or no. Well, where? Where is that two-factor? Uh, it's on our O365, and we reauthorize our tokens once every six months. The answer was yes, uh, but that's probably the dumbest thing that you could possibly do. And I can tell you uh, that recently uh, there was a company that lost $14 million because a uh, they, they wire transferred $14 million to a, to a bank in Australia. Um, and the root cause there was a memory scrape uh, from an application that somebody had downloaded onto a phone. Um, and the application took the token and all that memory. They replayed that back in and then got, got access, es escalated to domain access um, and uh, took over and then created store and forward email addresses and so forth. So that when the capital request comes in and it has new wiring information on it, it looks legitimate. So the wiring information sent $14 million to a company or to a bank in, in Australia. So what's the root cause of that one? Laziness. Well, it, is it laziness or is it like, how do you trust anyone? Because you're kind of going like, I would have thought if I downloaded it off had, the Apple store. Or if the, they had their two-factor and it was through, if it was through Office 365, right. they had their two-factor and it was set to seven days then those tokens would have been re you would have a reauthentication request every seven days yep. uh, at six months. Those guys had been in there for months. Yeah. Six to, months is a long time for a programmer. Yeah. And, and to establish a, what would be a new normal. Uh, so when that wire transfer went out, it seemed normal. Oh, if, they had re if they had had, okay. So is that a technical problem? Nah, no. no, it's a management. It's a management problem. Management didn't want to deal with the hassle. We don't care. Doesn't matter. This is no. We're not. We're not doing this. I, I bet I have to call or I have to get a text every time I want to do this or once every week. No, way too much trouble. Well, which is which is too much trouble? Fourteen million dollars or having to hit your phone once a week? Right. Wow. That is slightly terrifying. So. <laughs> I deal with it. I deal with it every day. People ask me how I sleep at night being in the security business. And I say, oh, you know, I sleep just like a baby. I wake up screaming every two hours. <laughs> because I would think that with everything speeding up and it being easier to program, it's easier to program today than it was three months ago. So now you have another added issue that programmers are getting more access to more information faster. So the threats become faster. Is seven days actually enough anymore? And, and how do you keep up with the, the speed of the threats? Well, you bring up an interesting point uh, with the speed of things. And even over the past six, eight months, uh, with the popularity of uh, the user inter the, the user interface that has has finally come to light on uh, on artificial intelligence, right? This Chat GPTs uh, and, and OpenAI and, and these things, right? Um, and we are seeing, even though these these AI engines they do everything that they can to not allow their intelligence to be used to develop, uh, you know, evil things. Um, they can't keep up with it. 
Well, so there's no way they could stop a... that because, I mean, you can write a program just to keep a door open. That's not malice necessarily you... until you add something behind that. <laughs> well, but what if you don't have to have the intelligence? What if it's artificial? What if you can just ask the question and have the artificial intelligence write it for you? And then right. all you do is inject that code into uh, whatever it is that, that you're doing. So when what what you were mentioning, what, what you brought up about uh, uh the speed of uh, things being developed, uh, now it's virtual. Now artificial intelligence, I mean, if you need a, 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 a piece of code that, that does a particular thing for you know, access control or some kind of a man in the middle or something like that, right? You can go to chat GBT and get 90% of what you need in seconds. Right. You don't have to know anything about it. You just ask the question, it'll spit it out. Wow. So your barrier to entry, uh, we, you know, we used to call them script kitties, right? Where somebody that's trying to do penetration testing or, or trying to do, you know, penetrate uh, networks, you know, they run a series of scripts uh, that are of, you know, publicly available uh, on the dark web and all that and see what hits. Most of those things uh, have a very have a fairly short shelf life and that the, the vulnerabilities that they're going after um, generally, the patching cycle uh, outruns their capability, right? So, as long as you, if you're keeping things patched, patched, those scripts generally will go stale before they become necessarily usable. Um, but if we have artificial intelligence that's creating these things as fast uh, as the vulnerabilities are discovered, um, then you've got a very interesting dynamic to your patch cycle. So, what we're seeing in the market is companies that uh, are responsible for patching their systems, Microsoft and, and, and so forth, are moving, they're shifting their, their patching uh, cadence um, a little bit differently just to try to keep up with, uh, with that type of a threat. Wow. So <laughs> to, for, for the, the lay listener in this that's kind of freaking out right now, what are some of the things obviously enabling double authentication when a piece of software says, do you want to do this or not <laughs> to do it now? Some patience yeah. with that is one thing. Um, what are some other things that, and having um, more difficult passwords, uh, you mentioned that as uh, another one. Uh, what are some of the other things that people can do to attempt yeah, to keep you. their information yeah, safe? Right. So, uh, so the now what, so to speak, right? So, yeah. okay, here's a bunch. Here's a bunch of scary stuff. What do we do? Uh, and I'm not going to give you the answer that most people uh, that you talk to from security are, are going to give you. I'm going to give you a different answer, and that's going to go back to my initial uh, my initial conversation. Uh, you know, I can give you a list of basic cyber hygiene stuff, like you mentioned, right? Password complexity, uh, two-factor authentication everywhere when you can. Um, you know, at the end of the at the end of the day, those are very tactical things that come in as part of an overall program, right? So. Mm -hmm. So to tell somebody to go on, if you imagine that ring of security that I was mentioning, if you tell somebody two or three things to do to protect a certain portion of that technology, I still left half of your attack surface wide open. Yeah, so attackers will never be... out surprise or out uh, outstay strategy. So 
Yes. Well, exactly. And, and, and what we see so many times is, you know, somebody listens to a podcast like this, or they read a magazine article or something that says, well, you need to have this type of a firewall and have these type of controls in it. So they go out and they buy that and they spend, you know, hundreds of thousands of dollars in, in some cases on, on this protection, not realizing that, yeah, it's fancy. And yeah, it does an amazing job of what it does, but you covered, but in purchasing that technology, you covered uh, about 3% of your attack surface because you didn't look at your business impact analysis. You didn't look at, well, where are the actual keys to the kingdom? What do I need to be protecting and how best do I protect that? Not just because this thing is fancy and it's a, it's a, it's a blinky light. Uh, you know, what, where do I get the most return uh, for my, uh, my security spend? And some, some people will talk to you about, you know, percentages of IT as, as part of their security spend and so forth. And that's, I mean, you, you hear generic numbers like that. And I'll, and I'll, I'll give you a good example. Imagine you're the, uh, and this, another true story. Imagine you're the CFO uh, for a fast, well, I hate the word fast food, quick serve, quick serve restaurant, right? They, they hate that word, fast food. And we've worked with a lot of like household names. Um, and we're talking about, well, we've talked before about business continuity, right? How do we keep the business up and running? So I'm going to tie all these things together for you to, to help answer that, that, that question. Okay, so, so you're going through the list, things that we need to protect. And you come down on the list to payroll. Okay. I'm, I'm the IT security guy, right? Payroll. That's that, that's a, that's a 10 out of a 10, right? Got to protect payroll. We don't want that being hacked because we can't pay people and all that kind of thing. And we want to, uh, so we're going to spend $250,000 on this for redundant services and cloud-based, whatever backups and all that. Right. So we have this program that we're going to put in place and your CFO says, no. Okay. I'm interested. Why? Uh, because I am a cash-heavy business. My payroll variance is less than 2%. I can pay my staff cash out of the drawers for up to two weeks without any loss. So rather than me spend, right, right, right. So rather than me spend uh, two, $300,000 in system redundancy, high availability and all that for that payroll system, it's not necessary. Their contingency plan is to pay cash and then they, they'll back those payroll checks and everything into the system after it comes back up. And I, I tell that story a lot because what it highlights is what we as security professionals see into the business as things that need to be done and things that need to be, be protected when the business has a different view of those very same things. It's like that, that meme that you've seen with the two kids that are on both sides and there's a six, mm -hmm. right? So this one's saying it's a six and this one's saying it's a nine. They're both right, but it's, it's perspective. Um, so as security people, so, so, so when you ask me, what does the business need to be doing to protect itself? I'm going to say to you, not the you know, two-factor this and whatever, I'm going to say to you, know what your business uh, risks are, have a business impact analysis, know what needs to be protected and what, what, what your potential spend would be to protect that. I mean, there have been many instances where we see, well, people, people spend more, more money uh, to protect an asset than it's actually worth. 
How would you know that if you don't have a proper business impact analysis? So my answer as a chief security officer and, and, and the experience that I have is, yeah, I'm going to cover what you were saying for the two-factor and the password complexity and all that. And basic cyber hygiene is a given. If you're but as not a business, you got to know what you're dealing with. And I think it comes back to kind of a, the grade four answer is ask more questions than you think you need to, you know, or before you started spending the money. And I think being able to kind of go and, you know, do that work with you to figure out kind of what the bigger picture is. Because you just, now I may be wrong. Uh, I'm not in security, but I'm thinking if your payroll gets hacked, doesn't that leave everybody vulnerable? Like your bank accounts, their, their sure. personal information, their addresses, their everything. Yeah. Uh, yeah. One, yeah. 100%. Yes, absolutely. And don't don't misinterpret availability with confidentiality. Right. Fair Those enough. are two different things. We weren't talking about not protecting payroll. Right. We were talking right. about availability of the payroll system. Right. right? So <laughs> protecting it behind proper firewalls and intrusion detection and all that. That's one area. Okay. Making it constantly available oh. is a different area of, of we'll call it security. Um <laughs> Yeah, so it's, it's, it's not, uh, you know what, and I'm, I'm glad you mentioned that because that perspective never really occurred to me that that could be misconstrued as not protecting payroll, and that's not the case. It's not that we're not protecting at all. As a matter of fact, that that is a critical key, um, um, you know, key to the systems, uh, you know, keys to the kingdom and so forth. Um, so it's not that it isn't protected. It's very, very highly protected. Uh but in the redundancy that would be put in place to make it available uh, is where is what we were talking about, right? So when you Got talk it. about the, the the security triad, that's you know, and honestly, in my opinion, now outdated. Uh, there are several, but we talk about confidentiality, integrity, and availability. That applies. That makes that a little bit easier to understand. That we're talking about availability of the asset, not necessarily the confidentiality of the asset. That's Got a good it. point, though. Yeah, that, that, that was you had to be question. terrified there for a second. <laughs> yeah, yeah, no, you know, it's a it's an excellent perspective, uh, and I love talking to the people um, that aren't necessarily security people because their perspective on things gives me a different perspective on how what on what they're seeing uh, and uh, how their interpretation of like just like you know you interpreted that as me not protecting payroll, uh, and that that wasn't the case. So that's actually a very good point. <laughs> Awesome. So I know our listeners are going to want more from you. How did they start that journey? Uh, real easy. Leapfrogservices.com uh, is the website. I'm uh, my first name, last name. So Bryant.tau uh, at leapfrogservices.com is an email. Uh, and um, that's probably the, probably the easiest way. Uh, or if you just Google leapfrog services, it'll pop up and, and uh, I'm on the website there under the, uh, under the, the codes they call us, right? Because we're, we're leapfrogs or the other the other executives. Love it. So I'm going to ask you a completely arbitrary left field question now. Those uh, are my favorite. <laughs> at what point in life did you know that you're a special kind of crazy enough to think that you could become an entrepreneur? Wow, that is a fantastic question. <laughs> um, okay, well, I, I tell you what, I'm going to go back. So I, I told you I started building computers out of my bedroom when I was in college. And I didn't, I couldn't spell. I Honestly, I don't think I can still spell entrepreneur. Um, so I I didn't really know what that, what that meant. 
but I'm going to answer that uh, by, okay, so you said when I was probably 20, uh, give or take. I was uh, in school at Middle Tennessee State University. As I stated, I was working at Sam's Club uh, and their uh, rift management. Uh, basic quote selling uh, computers, but basically he wanted somebody that knew something about computers, and I had had Information Systems 220, uh, so that was me. Uh, so I was and basically making people making sure people didn't steal them, uh, and that turned into uh, you know showing people about computers and teaching them about software, loading up software, and doing demonstrations, and uh, you know basically learned everything that uh, just because I'm that kind of person. Um, I started a company. I went to the general manager. I went to the general manager and I said, you know what? People aren't buying computers out of here because uh, it's a little bit like buying a number 10 can of beans. Um, you know, what do they do with it? Yeah, it's, a, it's a commodity type type of, and I didn't, don't even think I knew what the word commodity was at that time. But I said, if I, if I had the capability uh, to, when people bought computers from Sam's, to go out and work with them and get them set up. I mean, I was installing CD-ROM drives and sound cards right back then, and, uh, you know, setting up uh, basic accounting software and, and and you know, and upgrading hard drives and, and stuff like that. And uh, we went from number, uh, I think we had 32 stores or so at that time, and we were in the in the low high 20s for category 31 office equipment and in about three months we went to number one nice um, well because people would come in just simply to talk to me about the computers and people you know when's he working we want to come and uh you know one of my favorite stories there i don't know how much detail you want to you want to get into but this yeah. this uh this old farmer guy used to come in and talk to me all the time overalls muddy boots and had so many questions about computers and i just absolutely loved it he came in one day and had in his bib pouch a wad of cash, and he spent almost five thousand dollars buying computers for his his farm and his his I don't know whatever he had he had like five computers that he needed to put all across his farm. And I talked to him for months, and that really gave me a a, a picture of uh, you never know who's going to buy, right? Right. You know, it's this farmer guy. He's just a great old guy. I mean, muddy all over him and just, you know, whatever. It came in, pulled out that water cat. Um, we got a new general manager in. I'll finish this up quickly. But we got a new general manager in that was not quite as, uh, we'll say, aggressive uh, as the one that had, had uh, left me to go back and buy, buy my, uh, my, my beeper uh, and get a business card, right, to do my little business thing. Uh, subsequently, they fired me. Uh, because they thought what I was doing was a conflict of interest to, to the Walmart way. Um, I'll never forget it. It was a Monday night. I was I just bought a car. I was doing pretty well. And I uh, went home, uh, madder in hell, and watched the rest of Monday night football and uh, decided that next day that I was going to incorporate and uh, start a business and actually, actually make it official and start building my own uh computers um so we got our cases fcc class b certified and sold my last year in business i did two hundred fifty thousand dollars with the university um so uh, <laughs> so to realize hey you know what wake up one day i'm going to be an entrepreneur was really more out of um you know somebody just drained all of the air out uh, and you're about to about to suffocate unless you do something. So I just decided I could I could build these computers as as good as what I was selling, 
Um, and I had a pretty decent little following at that time with uh, with several customers and uh, ran that for four, four, almost five years uh, before I got it sold off. Yeah, that's awesome. What a great story. Thank you. Brian, you have been absolutely awesome today. Thank you. Oh, Any well, last thanks. words for our peeps? Uh, last words. Uh, gosh, I don't know. Um, <laughs> basic cyber hygiene, I guess. Phone uh, uh, from the top. Uh, proper risk management and proper protection starts in the boardroom, starts at the president level. And if 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 you think something is inconvenient and end up having to wire $14 million, um, well, your your staff and everybody under you is going to be thinking that that same way, right? So. <laughs> you got a wider wallet than I do, if that's your definition of inconvenient. <laughs> right. <laughs> so, Pete, Brian's links are all in the show notes, of course. Scroll down, connect with him, do the smart thing, because this is a massive case of you don't know what you don't know, uh, and you just can't afford to be in that position at this point in business. So thank you so much for your time, Brian. I appreciate it. And I know how valuable it is. Absolutely. Well, I absolutely I appreciate it very much. It's it lots of fun. Thanks. Peeps, this is Michelle Nedlack. Thank you for being here with us today. Be sure to subscribe to the show and share it with your friends. We love helping entrepreneurs grow. Are you running a business over seven figures, but still struggling with technology headaches? Pay attention. You do not want to miss this offer. This podcast episode is brought to you by Awareness Strategies, who is offering a custom-built digital adoption roadmap for anyone running a business over seven figures who's wanting to grow their business in the next five years. And it's not just a roadmap. They offer full implementation as well. If that scares the out of you, check out awarenessstrategies.com forward slash roadmap for more details today. The link's in the show's notes. Don't regret not doing this. Do it now. That's awarenessstrategies.com slash roadmap.